0: Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. I want to welcome everybody in my home that's joined us this evening, this Monday evening special service that we have here. We had some tef- technical difficulties on Sundays, and we're just a little house church, and uh, that kind of stuff can happen when we're just starting out. So praise be to God, we're we're here, and we're going to hear the word of the Lord today. And uh, we're a little late, but we're maybe we're right on time in God's plan. So. Praise be to God. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, for everybody, for coming from SoundCloud. And thank you, everybody, for joining us in the house. And I just, uh, my hope and my desire is that the Holy Spirit would just fall in this place and fall on our, our hearts and fall in our ears and fall in our minds tonight and just just bless us with God's truth and who God really is. Because the more we know God and the more we know His character, the more we can know how to please Him. Because that is something that we ought to want to do. We ought to want to be pleasing to God because, after all, He wants to be. He wants us to be pleasing unto Him as as He is already pleasing to us. Amen? How much more could God have done than come down and do what He did for worthless sinners as we are? Praise be to God. He, He couldn't have done anything more. He's done enough already and He just keeps on giving. So, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, we're going to lift up today's service and lift up this time and uh, ask for God to just bless us and pour out his spirit and, and truth and tonight. Lord, thank you for this night, Lord. Thank you for this beautiful, beautiful time that we get together, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for everybody that's supporting me, Lord God, on, on online. And thank you for all the support, Lord, I'm getting from you. And, and just, Lord, how you're just keeping us going. Lord, thank you for the fact that you just keep us going. I don't, Lord, I understand everything, Lord God, but we're not called to understand. We're just called to go. And so, Lord, uh, as we go, I, I just pray that you'd just fill us in as we go, Lord God, just like you did Paul and his his journey Lord after he was arrested and then and then he could have gotten off but he appealed to Caesar Lord and he didn't know all the things that were gonna happen to him on his way to go to Caesar he didn't know he was gonna be stranded and shipwrecked and stranded and bitten by a snake and they people tried to worship him and he, he didn't know what was gonna happen Lord on that journey he just know that you said this is what I want you to do you're gonna go and you're gonna be a witness for me to all these peoples and you're gonna go and be witnesses to kings and and mighty men and high, high-ranking men and just go and Lord you just kinda as he went he just trusted in you as he went Lord so that's what we're doing here we're gospel saving church Lord we're just trusting in you as we go knowing that you're just keeping us going Lord God you just keep us going every step of the way so Lord we praise you and we love you and we thank you Lord please pour out your holy spirit upon this place tonight Lord God pour out your holy spirit upon me and and the listeners Lord of this sermon and Lord just uh, help us to learn more about you we love you and we praise you God and we thank you in Jesus mighty name we pray these things Amen. All right, so if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 22 through 27 tonight. Matthew 14, 22 through 27. The title of today's message is, He Tested Their Hearts and Their Minds. He tested their hearts and their minds. I'm going to read over the section of scripture and then we're going to to study it. So, if you guys want to join me, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. If you guys want to read along, I'm going to read it. And it says Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. So. Just a recap, as we kind of jumped into the mix of the story here, the mix of the account, you know, we had uh, Matthew 14, 13 through 21. We had what? We had Jesus going up to a mountain on his own to be by himself because he hears of John's death. He goes away, and he goes away to mourn for John's death. So he's there all alone, and all of a sudden the people knew where he was going, and he saw where he was going, and they all flocked to him. And while Jesus needed time to mourn for John's death, all the people came and flooded him, and did what he took care of their needs first, above his own. Then the disciples come at evening of that one day, and they say, "Jesus, send these people away. There's, you know, they're, they need to go and get food, and they need to go do this because they're gonna, you know, they're they're in the wilderness and they got no food, and they're, you know, they could die along the way going back home." So that's our last week. That's our recap of generally just just overview of last week and all that went on last week. So today we get we get done with the feeding of all the people and immediately and read verse 22 with me again. Verse 22. Immediately, <clears throat> excuse me. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So what do we see here? They get done feeding the people. Jesus and the disciples get done feeding the people. And immediately, right when they're done, He sends the people away and He sends the disciples away. There's a couple of really big gold nuggets that are in this little section here. So I want to look at them. First of all, first gold nugget. There's two of them actually. Number one, what time of the day do you think it was of that same day that he started feeding people? What time of the day do you think it was here in this section of scripture right here in verse 22 because after all it seems like just it seems like it was just evening of that same day that he started feeding them and then immediately he sends the disciples away right here verse 22. so we don't see any space there. He's feeding them. His disciples are feeding them. Immediately he gets done. Immediately he sends the disciples away first. Then he sends the multitudes away after. So it seems that way. It seems that it was immediate. It seems that it was of the same even day that he first started feeding these people. But is it still evening of that same day that he started feeding these people? Well, my first question as you're thinking about that is this, this this question. How long do you think it would take one man making and 12 people passing out food to 5, to 15, to 25,000 people? Certainly not just a few minutes. Certainly if you've ever, you know, let's think of like a football stadium. And think of like a a four-hour football game and how long it would take all those people to wait in one line to get all the food that they would want during a four-hour football game. I don't even think you'd be able to do it in a four-hour period. So what time, again, do you think it was of the same day that he started feeding them? What time do you think it was of that same day? Well, believe it or not, it wasn't exactly that day at all. It was the whole next day that he gets done feeding them and immediately sends the people away. How do we know this? Verse 23. And when he he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But wait a minute. When evening came... We already had evening in verse 15 of the last section of Scripture that was evening. Certainly there can't be two evenings in the same day, can there? Absolutely not. There's a sun up and a sun down, but there's no two evenings of the same day. That means here in verse 23 was the evening of the very next day altogether. Wow. Here's another gold nugget we see. What, what, what do I read in this? So evening comes. Jesus was already serving the people from verses 13 to 21 in Matthew 14. Evening came. He was feeding them from the daytime when they came. The evening came. The disciples came, said, send these people away. No, you guys feed them. And then we went through all that mix last week. Then we start verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get away and go in the, in the boat, so on and so forth. Verse 23, when evening had came, what do we see in this? We see this precious gold nugget number two. We see the absolute, totally sold out, tremendous love of Christ in this action. Jesus and his disciples fed the multitudes from evening of one day all the way straight through the overnight and into what seems to be the next afternoon of the next day with no sleep. When evening comes, it's about 6 to 7 p.m. They just started to feed these multitudes of anywhere from 15 to 25,000 people, anywhere between 6 and 7 p.m. That's the Jewish evening. That's when the Jewish evening starts, it's 6 to 7 p.m. Then we have immediately he sends them away. And then when evening came, well, well, we know it wasn't the evening of that same day he started feeding them, which means it was the evening of the very next day. And if you think about in your mind, how long it would take one guy and 12 people making and passing food out to as many as 25,000 people, we know that couldn't even have been a couple hours. We know that couldn't even have been a few hours. We, We know that that had to be a tremendous amount of time. Wow. This is an example, Christians. If you're a Christian out there and you're listening to this message, this is a tremendous example what Jesus Christ did here of how we ought to be looking at living our lives. This is a Christian practice that every Christian should be practicing as a principle. What is it? Again, we see here that even above Jesus needing sleep, Jesus being tired, Jesus needing to mourn for John, Jesus still continued all the way through the night, from one whole day, through the whole night, through the next afternoon, continuing to serve the people. He put the people's needs, he put others' needs above his own. It's very plain, it's very simple, it's right there. Jesus and then his disciples were following him. I'm sure they maybe didn't even want to do that. But Jesus put the needs of all the peoples that he was serving, even above his utmost need of sleep and even to mourn. We see that only after the needs of the people were fully met, fully, everybody, it says in verse 13 to 21, verse 20, so they all ate and were filled. Only after the people were filled Only after the people's needs had been met, 100% did Jesus go, send the disciples away, send the multitudes away, and then go to the mountain by himself, in verse 23, and take care of his own needs. As I said earlier, what were his needs? Number one need he had was sleep. Jesus had just pretty much gone probably about, 36 hours or more with no sleep at all, constantly in the middle of service. One thing to be staying up for 36 hours playing video games or working on your computer or out, you know, farting around doing this, that, and the other thing, you know, going around and visiting sightseeing, this, that, and the other thing. But now we have 36 hours of service unto multitudes of people. This would have taken a tremendous amount of energy from him, of course. And number two, we need not forget, as I mentioned earlier, he had John the Baptist's death to still cope with. Jesus still needed to go and mourn the death of John the Baptist. This is what he wanted to do in verse 13 of Matthew 14. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. This is the whole reason why he went away. To this area, to be in this mountain, to do this thing, to be by himself, to mourn for John. But he wasn't there for very long before, remember, the people came and wanted him, wanted what he had, wanted them, just wanted him to serve him. So another huge Christian principle, another huge gold nugget, even then, as bad as Jesus needed sleep, notice here that Jesus, in verse 23, Read it again with me. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to sleep. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, wait. That's, that's the human Bible. I forgot. Let me read God's Bible. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. To pray. Not to sleep. Notice here, Jesus found it more necessary to seek God for his peace during his anguish of John's death then the get the rest that his flesh so soul, so sorely needed he really needed to sleep 36 hours constant service he did, now the first thing on my mind was bed sleep i need to crash please i just need to go to sleep but it shows here that of that, that human side of Jesus. We see the human mourning side of Jesus. Jesus still needed to mourn for John's death. And he sought it more necessary to seek God for his peace and his anguish and his despair and to mourn for John's death over his sleep. Wow. This is another Christian principle, Christians, that we need to be practicing. Why? We will have distress. We will have anguish come just like Jesus Christ here had with John's passing. We will mourn. We will hurt. We will have tough times. We will have loss of loved ones in our lives. We will go through these times. We will suffer sometimes mentally, we will suffer sometimes physically. We will have anguish, but so often, what do we want to do when those anguish times come? I know I'm, I'm guilty of this probably as the next person. What do I go to do when I start to get in anguish, when I start to go get upset? Sometimes I just go, and I just want to go be depressed and lay on my bed. I just want to lay there and sulk. Oh, poor me. Whoa, whoa, whoa is me. Oh, boo, hoo, 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 hoo. But we need to be coming and going to God and Jesus Christ with whatever kind of distresses or anguish we have or what come at us. And we need to cry out to him just like Jesus Christ did here. And guess what? If we do, he will comfort us in every way we need to be comforted. God and Christ promise in Scripture, Isaiah 9 6. I know this is about the Messiah coming, but remember, Christ and God are the same. Isaiah 9 6. For unto us, God's given a prophecy through Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called. Listen to the name of the Savior. Listen to the names of the Savior. His name will be called Wonderful, he is a wonderful God. Counselor. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Listen to this next one, the last one. Prince of Peace. Listen, folks. In the physical world, Jesus Christ is called a counselor here. In the physical world, people go to counselors in a human respect. And they spill their guts to a human counselor. Oh, oh, I've had all these things happen. Oh, 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 here's what happened. Blah, 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 blah. And they spill their guts to a human person who then gives them some advice and maybe or maybe not they do, they feel better. Actually, in case you guys want to know, because I could have counseled, I still counsel. I was going to go for psychiatry. I actually had gone. In case you didn't know, in case you want to really help somebody out with counseling, just a little side tip, just listen to them. Most of the best counseling is just listening. Just FYI. So in the spiritual world, guys, counseling is no different. Jesus said here, the Bible says of Jesus, Isaiah 9, 6, that he's a counselor. Well, we have to go to a great, we have to go to the great counselor, God slash Jesus Christ. We have to spill our guts to him and we can let him give us help or peace. And remember, he's also the Prince of Peace. Psalms 23, 1 through 4, David proclaims boldly of God, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, David says. Your rod and your staff, they comfort. So if we practice this principle of when we have this anguish, of when we have these stresses, of when, not if, by the way, when you go through troubles, for Jesus promised them, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So when you go through trouble, when you go through anguish, when you go through suffering, God, if you go to God, if you go to God, your father, if you go to Jesus Christ, the son of God, the only begotten son of God, God will restore your soul. If you come to him in your distress, like Jesus Christ came to God here in this situation. In fact, this probably is going to come to no shock to anybody here, but in fact, God longs to be the first place we go to come. God longs to be the number one source of your peace. He longs for you to come to him first over TV, over computer, over another man, over even your spouse, your coworker, doesn't matter. God longs to be the number one place you go with all your problems, your distresses, your pains, your anguishes, your problems, everything you have, God longs to be the number one place, your very first visit. And I promise you that if you make him your very first visit, that he'll be your very last visit because you won't have to go anywhere else because he promises to be your peace. That's why, as an example that we ought to be following, that's why Jesus didn't go get sleep first. He went to God to counsel him on John's death and to comfort him because think of when you're in anguish, think of when you're in pain, think of when you're in distress and you go ahead and go to sleep. Well, when you wake back up, it's still there. It's like trying to go to sleep with your hand cut off. And you didn't put any band-aids on it. You didn't put any any gauze pads on it. You didn't go to the hospital. You didn't get it sewed up or stitched. You just went to bed with your hand cut off. When you wake up, if you wake up, you almost bled to death. And your psyche, guys, our psyche's got to be cleaned. God longs to clean us up, to clean us, to give us Peace. And since I've been a Christian, since I've known Jesus Christ for almost 15 years, it's been the most wonderful 15 years that I've ever gotten asleep. Before I was a Christian, I used to sleepwalk. I would sleepwalk and go eat and all these other things that I would not rest. I didn't. My rest was very inconsistent. Since my peace and my trust is in Christ and he's my counselor, now I sleep like a baby. Almost every night I sleep like a baby. Once in a very great while I won't go to God or Jesus Christ for my peace and I'll get caught up like the fool I used to be and go and do my own thing and just go thinking I need sleep even when I'm bothered with a problem. But if I go to Christ, if I go to God, if I go to Him and I lay it all on the line and I spill my guts to Him and I give Him everything, then He's faithful and He gives me Praise be to God. All right, moving forward. Just to recap real quick, we're going to get back on. We have another whole topic to cover here. So verse 22, sometime in the afternoon of the next day, Jesus sends the disciples away in a boat. Then he sends the people away. That's all verse 22. Verse 23, now we're in evening again. Remember, of the next day. And Jesus is on the mountain, and he's all alone. So what do you think the disciples have been doing all this time? So we got the Jesus perspective. What about the disciples perspective? What were the disciples doing this whole time? Read verse 24 with me. But the boat was now in the, the boat that the disciples were on, you could say, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary so what were they doing? The whole time Jesus sends the multitudes away, that probably took several hours. Then he goes up into the mountain, that probably took a half hour, hour, who knows how long it took him to get up to that mountain. Then he spends all day in prayer, and then when evening comes again, now this is who knows how long, probably four to six hours, actually that's exactly what it was actually. Four to six hours later he comes out, he's still on the mountain all by himself, and the disciples this whole time are in the middle of the sea, fighting a huge storm. The disciples' circumstances actually were the same as Jesus Christ. The disciples' circumstances were the same as His. They had been feeding all those multitudes as well, the whole day, or that whole evening, that whole overnight, that whole up to the afternoon. They were as tired and as exhausted as Jesus was, up all night serving all the people, Then Jesus sends them off to cross the Sea of Galilee, and now they're still in the middle of the sea fighting this big, huge storm. And get this, all they were doing in all this was being obedient to Jesus Christ. That's all they were doing this whole time, being obedient to their master. The disciples were in a difficult situation and really having a tough time. But here's the deal. They were in this tough time because they were obeying Jesus Christ. My next point to the sermon. Just because we serve Jesus Christ does not mean that everything is going to be a walk through the daisies. In fact, obeying God, obeying Christ's commands are one of the hardest things that you'll ever have to do in your entire life while you're living in this flesh. Obeying Jesus Christ and God's commands will be the hardest things your flesh will ever have to do. God's word says, love those that hate you. Let's just, we could just stop right there. Love those that hate you. We could just stop right there. That's, that's one, one thousandth of what he wants from us. But if, if we just stopped right there, love those who hate you. Boy, our natural flesh inkling, hate those who hate you. I hate them, they hate me, and I'm gonna hate them back. Hate those people. And Jesus said, Love those who hate you. Somebody slaps you on the left cheek, give them your right one as well. Wow. Love those who hate you. Obeying God will be one of the most difficult things you'll ever do in your whole life. So what does God want? You think God wants that for us? You think God wants that obedience from us? 1 Samuel 15, God says, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Why? Why is obedience so important to God? Believe it or not, a foundational part of any relationship is obedience to your partner. Relationship really doesn't work unless you're obedient. And a relationship with God and Christ is no different at all. Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Any part, if you're going to have a relationship with anybody, you have to be obedient, to be diligent, to be with that person. Not talk about them badly, not go behind their backs, not if you're married to go out and have relations with another woman. If you've got a good friend and you love a good friend and not to go out and hurt, do things to hurt them, to be obedient, to be a good friend. Again, a relationship with God in Christ is no different. And believe it or not, God is even obedient to us in the respect that He loves us above all creation. He's not obedient to be our servants or our slaves or whatever we ask or whatever we do. He just does it like a a good servant boy. But he is obedient in the respect that he loves us more than anything else and everything else in all creation. And his love for mankind does not falter. It does not change. God is obedient to us in his love for us. So, just how difficult was this situation that the disciples were in. Let's read verse 25 with me. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. In case you didn't know, the Jewish fourth watch is between the tenth, their tenth and their twelfth hours. Actual real time between the Jewish tenth and twelfth hours was three to six in the morning by the way let me give you a full picture of what these poor disciples how badly they were struggling because of their obedience for their master Jesus sends the disciples across the sea of Galilee from a deserted place in the wilderness to the land of Gennesaret verse 34 tells us that when they had crossed over they came to the land of Gennesaret so they went from some deserted place that we don't have the name of to the land of Gennesaret they crossed the sea of Galilee listen to this He sends them away in the afternoon of that day, the day after He started feeding them. Now in verse 25, it's between 3 and 6 in the morning of the next day. In case you have done the math already, or in case you haven't, afternoon of one day to 6 to 9 in the morning of the next day. Guys, that's 16 to 18 hours that these disciples were in the boat trying to cross the Sea of Galilee. 16 to 18 hours trying to cross the Sea of Galilee. And on top of that, verse 24 tells us, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea. So they had just spent 16 to 18 hours only only going halfway across the Sea of Galilee. Now, you may be thinking, well, Pastor Ed, you know, how big is the Sea of Galilee? I mean, if it's, you know, if it's just 100 miles wide or, or you know, 50 miles wide, then, you know, I, I, yeah, that's not really that off. Well, Britannica.com, as well as many other sites I went to look at for this, just Britannica.com, they're very trustworthy site. They say, as well as so does some sites out of Israel, believe it or not, the Sea of Galilee is only 13 miles wide from north to south and seven miles wide from east to west. In case you're wondering, at worst case scenario, let's say they had to travel the full 13 miles to get from one side to the next. Just, just if you're wondering, the full 13 miles in a boat, 12 guys, maybe, maybe more than even two rowing. Maybe they could have had more than two rowing. At the worst case scenario, even with trouble, this trip the whole trip, the full 13 miles, should have only taken them between two and four hours max. And here we are, they're only halfway, and it's taken them 16 to 18 hours in this boat, being tossed by the waves of the sea. That deserves a triple wow. I just, when I looked at their situation, I had never seen it this way before. I never realized that they were in that boat for so long. So do you see here, guys? Just because we obey God doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Absolutely not. Huge point. And this is actually where the title of our sermon comes from. Huge point. Do you think that Jesus knew that this storm was going to be there before he sent his disciples away on the boat? Do you think that Jesus knew that they were going to be tossed to and fro, that the sea was going to be slamming against them and it was going to take them 16 to 18 hours to travel across maybe even 13 miles? I believe he did. So why would Jesus have done this to his disciples? Why? Why do you think? I believe that he was testing the disciples' minds and, hearts. and the Bible even speaks about this, Psalm 7:9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who tests our hearts. And the biggest one of all, Deuteronomy 8, 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Moses is talking to the children of Israel to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God tests the hearts and the minds of mankind. So why do I believe that Jesus Christ was testing them here? Big point that I left out just a moment ago. Notice here that he waited until the fourth watch to walk out towards them. Why is the fourth watch so important? Verse 23, Jesus finished praying when evening came. Well, evening comes when the sun sets, which is between six and seven p.m. And in verse 25, as the fourth watch came, to them, Jesus came towards them. Remember, the fourth watch was between six and nine a.m., which is right before sunrise. Well, in case you're wondering, six to seven at night to six to 9, or to three to six in the morning is about. 12 hours, and you may be saying, yeah, you already covered that, Pastor Ed. yes, that's 12 hours, yes, a total of 16, 18, yes, but that, just that part there, when Jesus was done praying, until he walked out towards them, was about 12 hours, how does this all mean that Jesus Christ was testing their minds and their hearts, how, how can we see that here, well, we can't hear in Matthew. Because Matthew leaves a very important detail out that Mark, in his gospel, he records in Mark chapter 6. Listen to this. Mark 6, 47 and 48. Now when evening came, this is a parallel passage by the way. Mark 6, this whole section is talking about the same thing that Jesus did. Walking toward them on the sea, except Mark gets some extra details. Listen, Listen to what Mark says. Now when evening came, verse 47, the boat was in the middle of the sea. That sounds familiar. That's right. That's exactly what Matthew said. And he, Jesus, was all alone on the land. Verse 48. Then he, Jesus, saw them, saw them, saw them, straining and rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he would have... Passed them by. So what did Mark add in, not add in, but what did Mark give an extra detail that Matthew didn't? That Jesus was actually on the ocean side. He was on the beach. He was looking out at the disciples when evening came. 6 to 7 p.m. He walks out on the beach. He sees the disciples struggling halfway through on the sea, going to the other side, and he stands there and watches them for 12 hours until sometime between 3 and 6 in the morning, He walks towards them. Yes, that's right. Jesus watched them for about 12 hours before He came towards them. So we absolutely do see that Christ was testing their hearts and minds by sending them away in the boat. Now. Many people, and maybe you're sitting out there going, <laughs> Pastor Ed, that's just plain, downright cruel. That's just plain, downright evil. How, how in the world, I thought you said God was the God of love. How could the God of love sit there and watch his disciples struggle in the ocean and the sea for 12 hours fighting against this storm and not come and rescue them? How is this not evil? We see from God's perspective tests are beneficial for both us and him. And why? Why would that be? Why is it so important that God tests us? Number 1, sum, just summarize in one word, one word and one word only, trust. Trust and trust. Tests help us and God see who we really trust in and rely on. Trust, test, help God see and us see who we really trust in and who we really rely on. When we are in the middle of a storm of life, whether a test from God or we're being attacked by the devil, Either one. Or whether we've just plain all right, just gotten ourselves into our own mess. How many times I can't tell you I've done that. We have a choice, don't we? We have a choice when we're in the middle of a terrible situation, when we're in the middle of a storm of life. Who are we going to trust in and who are we going to rely on? Are we going to rely on ourselves are we going to rely on others? Are we going to rely on our money? Are we going to rely on our home or our job or our co-worker or, or some person here and on this earth? Are we going to rely on them? Or are we going to trust in and rely on Jesus Christ and God Almighty? Because remember, He wants to be the very first place we go when we're having struggles, when we're having troubles. Absolutely the number one place. And remember, if we go to him, he'll give us that peace that we long to have. But if in our tests, we run to the hand of the flesh, and in our tests, if we, if we sit there and sulk on our own, laying in our own bed, being depressed, we're relying on ourselves. And where has that gotten us? I know where that's gotten me. That's gotten me a big zero-nothing goose egg. That gets us absolutely nowhere. And you see, God tests the hearts and minds, just like in Deuteronomy. He wants to see who we're going to run to. Are we going to run to Him like He wants? Or are we going to run to someone else? Or are we going to run to money? Or are we going to run to sex or drugs or rock and roll or or TV or internet or anything? Are we going to run to those things for our peace? Or are we going to run to God Almighty? and the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, for our peace. Yes. So, here, how did the disciples do? Let's read verse 26. How did they do during their test? Because we absolutely know, there's no, no way at all that nobody can see that this was not a test from God. Because Jesus purposely sent them forth into this storm. He knew it. He knew where he was sending them. Verse 26, let's see how they did. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. Guess what, guys? The disciples failed. Why did they fail? They were afraid. They were afraid of the storm. Now, necessarily, I can't necessarily blame them, up themselves about thirty-six hours, fighting the storm for about sixteen to eighteen of those hours. I can't really blame them, but nonetheless, they still failed the tests. Especially when you're called and God and you're serving God and you feel a call on your life that God wants you to serve Him. Of course, God is going to test your heart to see how faithful you will be to Him. While you are serving Him. Do you have what it takes to really serve the King of all creation? Because all things will come up against you when you're serving our great and mighty King. And guess what? They failed because of fear. And what about fear? Fear is the exact opposite of faith. They had absolutely no faith in God that He was going to deliver them from this storm that they were in. They were absolutely gripped with fear. But before you get hounding on them, before you get too attackful against them, before you get too accusatory or judgmental, how many times have we been in the storm of life, myself included, in the midst of a terrible situation? Oh God, where are you in this situation? How many times have we been afraid How many times have we failed the tests that God has given us? So what are we doing once we realize we fear? Of course, if you're afraid, that's the opposite of faith. God wants us to repent. God calls us to repentance. You see that you're not where I want you to be. I want you to solely trust in me 100%. Even if it's everything you have in your heart, even if it's everything you own, trust me with everything that you are. Everything. Now Jesus was testing them, and they failed the test, okay. But guess what? Even though they failed the test, he still comes to their rescue. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I Do not be afraid. He says to them, he walks up and he says, the very opposite of fear, trust in me. Trust in me. Christ comes and he says to them, point blank, it's okay, don't be afraid. Trust in me. We begin our relationship with God through trust in him, and we end our very last day on this planet, the day that we die, trusting in our Creator. And if you're not trusting in Him, then you're trusting in something in someone else or even yourself. And you're failing the tests of the storms of life. You're failing what God wants from you. He wants your ultimate trust of everything, your whole life, everything you own. Every single thing that you have, every single iota in your heart, He wants you to put your trust in Him. So I ask you today, I ask today, I say this to you today. Those of you that are really walking with Jesus Christ, are you truly walking with the Lord Jesus Christ right now and currently in a storm in your life? Are the waves of that storm tossing you around for seems like hours, days, maybe even months, weeks, or years? Have those storms been tossing you around and beating you up and slamming you everywhere? And are you just beaten up left and right? Maybe this storm feels like it's never going to end. So after today's lesson that we learn from Christ with His disciples... My question to you is, child of God, who are you trusting in and who are you relying on through it? Better way to say it, who are you crying out to and who are you calling upon? Are you acting like the disciples did here and crying out in fear? Because I've done that way too many times. And I'm tired of doing it, because fear wouldn't get you nowhere. Through faith, through Christ, through faith in Christ, all things are possible. For with God, all things are possible. Are you crying out to and calling upon the great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Are you crying out to and calling upon our great loving God Almighty, Jehovah Jireh? And as you're crying out to Him, and as you're calling out to God Almighty in Jesus Christ, are you putting your trust in the fact that He has heard you and He will come and fix your problem at His perfect time in His time? God is an on-time God, and He will come when He's good and ready. If you're not passing the test, if you're failing the tests of the storm that maybe God has you in right now, please, please, please wait on Him. Continue to call out to Him. Continue to cry out to Him, because as Isaiah forty thirty one promises, listen to this, but to those who wait on the Lord... They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. If you continue to cry out to them or if you're not, start today. Because the storms are always going to be there. The, the waves and the winds and the, the, all the, the bad things in life are always going to happen. Whether you're serving Jesus Christ or whether you're not. Whether, you're, whether you're, you're in some service for him, whether you're a minister, a pastor, a leader, a lay pastor, a husband, and you're loving your wife and your children like Christ loved the church and gave his life for them. Whatever you're doing, in whatever way you're living your life, serving God, tests will come. But who are you calling out to and crying unto? Are you crying out to and calling upon our great Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ? Or are you calling upon the name of some human being? Are you falling upon your wife's bosom every night? Because that's not a bad thing, but God needs to be first. Jesus Christ needs to be the place you go and the one-stop place you go, and He fixes all of your issues and all of your problems. God is faithful. He will come. We just need to trust in him no matter how our situation looks, as we'll find out with Peter next week. We need to put our trust in him and our faith in him above everything. No matter how bad or how good things look, we always need to be putting our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ Almighty. Now, are you not walking with Christ? Are you not trusting him in it all? Are you not walking with Him at all? Is your life not patterned after the life of Jesus Christ? I, don't you, you know, you know, maybe you could sit there and say, oh, you know, I mean, I prayed a prayer one time, but, you know, I, I'm not really a follower of Christ. Maybe you're not walking with Christ Jesus right now at all. Please, I beg of you, don't be afraid of the tests that God will put you through if you come to Him and if you serve Him. Please, don't be afraid. Remember, tests are good. Tests are a good way to build faith. One amazing thing comes out of all these tests. Check this out. When we put our faith and trust in God, and when, not if, when He delivers us, when He rescues us, guess what? Your faith will increase. Because God will deliver you of that situation. God will help you through that situation and your faith will increase because you know that there's no way I could have gotten through this without Jesus' intervention. There's absolutely no way. I ask you today, please start to seek Him now. If you start to seek Him, God says in His Word that He will reveal Himself to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. And if you ask, God says that you will receive. you got to understand, please understand, God's plans for your life are infinitely better for you than the plans that you have for your own life. God loves us so much. God loves us so much. His love for us is infinite. Just look at the example that we got from Jesus Christ when we first started our sermon today. The love that Jesus Christ had. He went above and beyond the call of duty 36 plus hours loving and serving the people that he was called to. Loving them in service, feeding them. I'm sure he was in pain for doing this. He was still in anguish. His body was exhausted. Mentally, he was distressed. And yet the love he had for them is the same love that he has for us right now, 2014, in March. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God's love does not change. He loves people the same then as he does now and as he will in the future. God is love, the Bible declares. And He gave His life for you on the cross so that you could come to know what real peace and real joy is only through Him, not through all I know of Him. Bible says that you should have peace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's in. Putting yourself in, you will have peace. If you're not walking with Him today, please come to Him now. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this message. Thank you so much for your love, dear God. For your love is so incredible. I can't even fathom the love that you would have for us. Under all that strain, under all that pressure, under all that distress, Lord Jesus Christ, you still served those people, even though you were tired, even though you were weary, even though you were overworked. Lord, you still served those people. And Lord, we know that your word says that we show our love for one another by the things we do for them. Not by the pretty words that we say to them, Lord, but by the things that we do for others, Lord. We show our love, for love is an action word. And you showed your love for these people here by feeding them and then serving them, even through your anguish, even through your distress, even through your pain, even through your agony, even through, even through your weariness. You love them and you serve them night and day, and their needs were above your own. Lord, nothing has changed. Mankind is the apple of your eye, and you love them more than you even love yourself. You love us, Lord God, above all your creation. And Lord, I just pray right now that anybody listening that has not experienced your love, Lord God, I pray that you'd reach out to them right now with this knowledge that they just got today of how much you love them. And I pray, dear God, that they would receive that love. Your word says, Jesus, as many as to receive Him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Lord, I pray that they would receive your love today and they would realize their state before you and turn to you and surrender to you right now. I love you, Lord God, and I praise you, dear God. I ask all these things in the mighty and precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.